0: It's a ball out. Hit in 10-3. Faces are loaded for Verlander who waits out the field. He swings and it's a high fly ball. Deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge bat flip to celebrate. All right, Ben. Start the show already.
1: What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats with your host, Ben Verlander. Another exciting week of baseball we got the storylines as always that we'll get to we also have our special guest astros outfielder kyle tucker and then the hotline questions where you guys call in give me all those questions and we have another segment we we sent out a poll to you guys this weekend on the flippin' bat social handles about the best american league pitcher so we'll touch on that of course the shohei otani segment and it's the first week of the month which means We'll talk about my power rankings, the MLB top five power rankings, and of course, the sixth tool player of the week. So we got a lot to get to this episode. Let's get right to it. Let's talk about some storylines from this past week. And a really important one I want to get to is the San Francisco Giants. The San Francisco Giants played at Los Angeles this weekend against the Dodgers. And look, the Giants have sort of flown under the radar in the eyes of a lot of many people a lot of people this year, as a team that's kind of just where they are. You know, maybe they've gotten lucky. They probably shouldn't be here. I'm here to tell you that the Giants are here to stay. The Giants are a good baseball team, and it's time they get the credit they deserve. This team goes into Los Angeles this past weekend for a big series against the Dodgers, who had just swept them at their own home. So everybody's kind of thinking, ah, see, here it goes, here it comes. And then they go into Los Angeles and they play great games against the Dodgers. All of them. So this is less about the Dodgers not looking good and more about the Giants getting the respect that they deserve. One of the games this past weekend was incredible. Albert Pujols hits a ball. Deep left field. Looks like it's going to be a walk-off. And Mike Togman out in left field robs it. Robs a walk-off homer from the machine, Albert Pujols. And they end up winning it in the 10th inning. Uh, Just an incredible, incredible series. And I am here to say the San Francisco Giants deserve your respect and are here to stay. This whole division has been Dodgers-Padres, Dodgers-Padres. But these Giants, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in this division, and I think they proved that uh, this past weekend in Los Angeles. And we also had Mike Yastrzemski uh, during one of the games this past weekend. Uh, A really cool moment, giving a ball to a a little kid and – and a group full of a bunch of Dodger section, uh, and, and a Dodger section gives the ball to a kid, and he is so excited, and the whole section's excited. He's fist bumping people. He goes to whisper in, a, in, in the person next to him's ear and tries to hand the ball to somebody else. Just a, just a really cute moment, and uh, Mikey Stremsky, a uh, good moment there. Something else that happened. This week, and this was probably the biggest news or the biggest storyline of, of the week, uh, was, or the most talked about at least, was Javi Baez and the Chicago Cubs. Javi Baez hits a ball to third base, routine ground ball, third baseman comes up, throws to first. It's a little bit up the line. He goes to tag him. There's two outs, and Javi Baez, instead of just running through the tag, decides to turn around and run home, run back home. <laughs> so instead of just tagging first base like he should have done javi baez runs back home the first baseman runs after him there was a runner on second that came all the way around to score javi baez standing a foot from home plate goes safe and then realizes oh god i gotta get to first base (laughs) takes off running to first dives in safe the ball goes into the outfield he ends up on second base now, look, obviously, it's a big defending blunder. Uh, that, that's what a lot of people were saying. It's a big defensive blunder. I don't care. This is still incredible base running that he was even able to do that. The fact that he even thought to do this makes this an incredible base running play and, and just an insane play. It's so insane and so awesome, and we'll be talking about it all year, I think. And speaking of the Chicago Cubs, they're hot. Chicago Cubs are really really hot so I wanted to bring in somebody that covers the Cubs Herb Lawrence joins me today Herb what's up man thanks for joining me
2: thanks for having me on Ben it's
1: awesome to be here of course man thank you so one thing I wanted to ask you about this team is coming into the season we didn't really know where this team stood you know they they get Darvish is gone uh, Schwerber is gone. So it was kind of like, is this team going to go for it, or is this team on the, on the edge of falling apart and becoming a totally rebranded team? So from your eyes, did this team think that they were going to, obviously they think they're going to compete, but were, did they think they were in position coming into this year to, to win the division and, and, and have a team that pushes towards
2: the playoffs? Jed Hoyer and uh, David Ross said all those things. They're like, yeah, we lost some players, but we're here to compete for the NL Central. One last go around with the core four. So, yeah, they thought they were going to compete this year in the NL Central. Most Chicago and most Cubs fans were like, no, you gave away your best pitcher. Kyle Schwarber is a 40-home run guy in a 162 season. So, what are you going to replace those home runs? So, this is a very surprising start for the Cubs to be this close to first place.
1: You mentioned the, the core four and how they said this is kind of the last run with this team. If, if they continue on this pace and they're coming off an incredible week, I've uh, won six of their last seven, they're playing great. Chris Bryant's having an MVP type resurgence type of year. If they continue on this path, what do you do with this core? Like, is it possible to keep them together if they prove this year we can win
2: with this core of guys? I think that is the only reason why, the only thing the Cubs have to do. They have to go with this team going forward, especially the Cubs, the core four, because they're too far gone. They're competing right now in the NL Central, a pretty solid team, and there's not going to be a trade at the deadline. So you're going to have to decide. I don't know if they can get all four back, but three out of the four have to come back in the main one has to be Chris Bryant, because, as you said, he's having an MVP type season, he was your rookie of the year, he was your MVP in his second year, won the World Series, he is uh, the most valuable player in my eyes, probably in the National League because of his versatility and what he does with the bat too, like he's played multiple positions and none more than 15 times, and none less than five. So he's played center, right, left, third, first, and he's played them all more than five times. This guy is a star, and Cub fans, so like it's like a polarizing thing with him. Some of them love him, some of them hate him, and I never understood that. He is a absolute star that needs to be re-signed. I know it's going to be prohibitive to sign him back because he's going to make some good money because he's having a great year, but they have to do it.
1: Yeah, it seems like these guys are putting pressure on the front office. Look, this is what we know we can be. This is the core of your team, the Chicago Cubs, and we're playing great baseball and we deserve to get paid. And it looks like that's maybe what they're heading towards is, you know, they're having great years. And you look at Javi Baez having a year that we all knew he could have. He's capable of putting up power numbers and bunches. He's capable of being the best defender in baseball. And he's having that sort of year but I feel like the Cubs are such an interesting team. And, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but if at any moment this goes south and they go on a big losing streak right before the deadline, this team could be totally different, right? There's there's three, four pieces,
2: big pieces that could be gone if they start to struggle. I think if an injury happens, like Chris Bryant goes down or one- of the other big time bats go down then you can see a struggle for the Cubs I don't see them with the core four and all the rest of the players like my Matt Duffy Bodie and the guys playing poorly up until the trade deadline for them to precipitate them being a seller so yeah possibly if one of them or multiple people get hurt they could change course but I think since we're at the beginning of June right now it's gonna be really tough for them to fall out especially you know you have that Wild card going on right now. The NL Central is not that great. No one's going to run away and hide from you. So, I think only as an entry will they be a uh, seller this year. So you think,
1: you think buyers, and are you thinking a pitcher somewhere? Like just get get a get a pitcher that we can use, and and let's make a run at this.
2: Yeah, because you've had inconsistent starting pitching. Uh, Trevor Williams has been good, and then sometimes he's only pitching four innings. Um, you had the your ace of the team, uh, Kyle Hendricks, struggled mightily for three or four starts, and now he looks like he's back to the Kyle Hendricks that everybody loves and knows. So, yeah, you need a guy in the starting rotation, maybe not a top-of-the-rotation guy, but a person that you can say, hey, here's five innings, here's three earned runs, go get him bullpen. Because the bullpen, surprisingly to me, has been really solid.
1: Yep, I totally agree. The the resurgence, it's almost like we're getting Atlanta Braves Craig Kimbrell again. It's honestly been, and and I I like Kimbrell and and he's had his issues over the past few years with with command and all that stuff. And it's honestly feeling right now like when when Craig Kimbrell comes in the game, lights out, game over.
2: Yeah, when he got signed initially, he was the best closer statistically in Major League Baseball history then when he struggled I was like oh my goodness this is bad I was reminded of I think it was Greg Holland who signed late in the season with St. Louis that year and was horrible abysmal Uh, I think it was 2018 they released him he went to the Nationals he was rediscovered I think that's the same thing that happened with where he signed late in the season you know didn't have a spring training and didn't really perform and now he's I think David Ross did a great job of just getting him in the game last year and Get him some some positive reinforcement. Okay, you got through the city. Good job. I'm going to take you out before you get in too much trouble. This year he's come back and he looks like the guy that has the confidence of, hey, I'm the best guy out here. There's no better closure out here in the history of the game. And I'm going to throw you this nasty fa- fastball. I'm going to throw you this curveball and you're not going to hit it. I think confidence in a pitcher is much more valuable than stuff. Because if you know and you think that people can't hit you, that goes a long way. And, you know, I don't, you know, never pitch in the major leagues, but I see all the pitchers who are at the top of their game. They do have premium stuff and everybody mostly in the major leagues has premium stuff. But it's those guys that have that confidence that have that knowing uh, vision, like you're not going to hit me. And if you do, it's going to be right to my fielder. So see yourself onto the bench. Of course.
1: Hey, Herb, thank you so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to have you back at some point. We'll talk some White Sox. We'll talk Cubs. I don't know. But thank you so much for joining me, man. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Of course, man. So he said something there that, that I, really, I, I really think is true. I, and I've talked about it a lot. Confidence is so big in baseball and, and when it comes to hitting and when it comes to pitching. I talk about it a lot, and and it seems the Cubs are playing with a lot of confidence, and he talked about it with Kimbrell, and he talked about something that I think is big for this team, and it's David Ross, and he said when Kimbrell was struggling or when he'd come out of a game and do well, he would get that pat on the back. He would get that, hey, good job. that We needed you there. Way to get through it, and I obviously, then he's doing that to all of these guys. David Ross knows how important it is, how important accountability is how important confidence is in baseball and I feel like he's the perfect guy and he is the reason that a lot of confidence is coming back into these players and the Cubs man they're playing great baseball so thanks again to Herb for joining me but now let's move on to our guest this week Astros outfielder Kyle Tucker. Kyle thank you so much for joining me my man. Yeah no problem thanks for having me. Of course dude all right as with everybody, we have a leaderboard, trivia questions right off the top. You got 60 seconds to answer as many as you can, and we'll see where you can get on our leaderboard. You ready? All right, let's go. All right. Who was your first career home runoff of? Marco Gonzalez. Yes. Who was your first career hit against? Um...
3: Like I know everything about
1: him from his hand. <laughs> First career strikeout against.
3: Uh, Shield. Yes, James uh,
1: Shield. Where did you bat in your major league debut in the lineup? Seven. Yeah. Uh, your jersey number in your MLB debut. Uh, three. Yes. Who did you bat behind in your debut? Carlos? No, Max Stassi. Where was your first away game in the big leagues?
3: Uh Seattle?
1: Uh, Anaheim. Who were the two starting pitchers in your debut?
3: Um for us. Oh, I don't know. I don't know there there's they're, with Shields, uh I don't know, Keiko?
1: No, Morton. Alright. That's it. Good. All right. All right. So the the first career hit was Bruce Rondone. Yeah, that's Bruce right. Bruce Rondone, who three, three,
3: three two slider. I know that it hit the first and it tipped off his glove.
1: <laughs> did you did you crush I know, it? I know the. Bruce Rondone. When I when I first saw this, I didn't even know. I guess it was like a short stint in in uh, with the White Sox, but that dude came on the scene throwing like. 110 miles an hour when he first came up. I was like, oh my God. That oh, yeah. Good. <laughs>
3: yeah, he, he was tough. Uh, I, was, I, was, I remember I was in a three, two count and he threw me a slider and I was like, kind of freaked <laughs> out and I hit it off the front. And then it tipped off his glove at first and went to right. So I was like, oh, thank God.
1: Woo. <laughs> um, all right, Kyle. So first, I want to. So we kind of have a similar uh, thing in that you, you have an older brother. That is also pretty good at baseball. Um, so I wanted to ask you, because my brother's nine years older than me, and yours is, I believe, six, so definitely older. But I wanted to to figure out the dynamic, because for me, it was almost like Justin's so much older than me that it was almost uh, like growing up. Like I like looked up to him and wanted to be where he is, With you guys being a little bit closer, was there a lot of competition? Was there a lot of envy of where he was? Um, What was that dynamic like between the two of you growing up?
3: Um, It it was more so um, like you and Justin. uh, Yeah, he's about six, seven years older than me, and I would would always want to, you know, kind of play at the level that he was playing at because, you know, it's my older brother, I wanted to play with him more often. And, you know... um, I think mean, it was good for me because when I was younger, I would just watch them in high school and in college, the ball, and I always wanted to play at that level and just play like at the level that they are, even though I was six years younger. So, I think having him being older um, definitely helped me out, and you know, I definitely looked up to him and tried to play, you know, just just like him, even though I was at a younger age.
1: Right, and so he ended up going to to Florida. You committed there. Um, and then obviously got drafted 5th overall what what was that de- decision like for you was it kind of did you know immediately if i get drafted in, in the top whatever in the top 10 picks i'm going to go or was it a tough decision for you whether to to sign or to go to school
3: um i mean you, you never know really how the how the draft is going to work out cuz there's so many moving parts um but i mean my my family's pretty um pretty like school-oriented you know my parents would always um like every time I came home like we we weren't allowed to play video games or at all during the week like we had to make sure we get our school work done and yeah. you know we had to you know have good grades in school so we could play um you know sports and that was kind of like their main goal growing up they, they were like if like they let us play sports and they let us have fun growing up and stuff but it was more school-oriented and you know, just making sure that we were prepared for life, even though, you know, be- playing baseball is tough, and not not like not a lot of guys make it to the MLB. So, you know, it's always good to have like a little backup plan. But, um, you know, it's not it's not always easy. Just you know, by, bypassing college and you know going straight into a career from high school. But, you know, it's definitely um, you know I, ju- I definitely enjoyed this experience so far. And, um, Planning I'm playing a lot longer. So yeah. you know, I'm, ha- I'm happy with the decision I made. And, you know, it was a good one.
1: I, I always wonder because, you know, I, I ended up getting drafted out of college. So I, I get into pro ball at 21 years old. And, and for me, that jump from college, from D1 pitching to the pros is the biggest jump that I faced in my entire career from a young kid to the end of my career. And I would always wonder the the guys that came out of high school how you did it, like you're then going from high school pitching to to professional pitching. So you're going from guys throwing 75 to guys throwing 100. and it's like how like was there a big adjustment for you um, when you got to Pro Bowl uh, when, when, when it came to hitting?
3: Yeah, it was definitely tough. I mean, you know I was an 18 year old. 18 years old coming out of high school and I'm playing with a lot of guys that you know what to whether it was juco or three or four years uh, of college you know they're roughly four to six years older than me Uh, you know they've been away from home going to college or what whatever um so it's definitely weird just the fact that you know I'm not playing like in my age group age range (laughs) anymore and guys are a lot older and coming out of college so I was like kind of looked up to them and um, even though we were on the same team, we were, we, we were all boys and stuff and having fun. But you know, it was definitely a weird uh, experience at first. Um, just you're traveling all the time. And you're now playing over 100 games. You know, in high school we played like 20 to 30 games. You know, not I never played 130 games ever <laughs> before. Um, so it was definitely you know life changing experience. But you know, it, it's been so much fun, and I've made so many different friendships and connections throughout this game. It's, it's all been worth it.
1: So one thing that makes baseball so unique is that everyone goes through some sort of minor league experience. Um, you know, you, you, look at other sports and that's not necessarily the case. The best of the best can go straight to the top. And That's not the case in our sport. So I always ask p- people this question, what is like an experience or a story from your minor league days that you'll remember forever? Um,
3: I mean, each level is different, you know, Um, just because, you know, like more recently back in AAA, like you take 4 a.m., 6 a.m. flights um, and then you play later that day. it's, it's, it's very, it's very tough because you, you get in at like one o'clock and you just go to the hotel, drop your bags off, go to the field and play. Um, like a ball, double A, double A, we, we, we were taking like 15 hour bus rides before, before <laughs> game. We, yeah. We, we play a night game and then just drive through the night, get there at like noon the next day and then just go to the field and play. Um I don't know. There, There's so many different things, and they, they've all been, I mean, obviously, like, you don't want to be taking a 16-hour bus ride before a, a game. I don't want to do that again, but, you know, it was definitely fun at the time. We, we would bring, like, consoles on the on the bus and play, you know, spend a lot of time playing cards and just having fun, and I, th- I think those are the most important things for us. Yeah,
1: they're definitely not... building. Up f- they're not like fun experiences, but they're experiences that you're glad you have later. Like I remember when I was in Lowe at the time, I was playing in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and the furthest team we had to play was in Bowling Green, uh, Kentucky, the Rays organization, and we were playing there. And the last game, getaway day, was a night game, and we were talking like, why? Why is this? The, we have a 12 hour ride back. Why are you doing this? And they're like, oh, we have to have a certain amount of night games. This one just has to be the case. And obviously it goes into extra innings because that's just how it works. So it goes into extra innings. We don't get on the road until 12 midnight and we get we pull back into Grand Rapids at like 11 a.m. the next day and had a day game and just had to strap it back on and get ready to go. And I feel like that in a nutshell is minor league baseball.
3: Yeah, I think I think we've had to push back and like delay a game like an hour because the team hasn't shown up yet. <laughs> um,
1: so then you you make it to the big leagues in 2018, and it's a little bit of a struggle for you at first. And and I kind of baseball is so tough mentally like i feel like harder than 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 anything because you're you're failing 70% of the time and you're considered great so mentally and for me that was the biggest difference in in every level i played at was the mental aspect of it and the mental grind and you really have to learn how to struggle and it's not easy when when you got when you got up how much of it was you know mentally like a struggle and a battle for you and how much of it was like physical and the swing and, and the pitching you were seeing.
3: Um, I think at each level, whether you're going to like low A to high A, high A, double A, you know, triple A or double A to the big leagues. I think each level has some sort of adjustment that you need to make. Um, just because, you know, there's better players there and, you know, they're expecting a little bit more out of you and and whatnot. Um, but I think at the major league, major league level, you know, it's all about winning games. And whether you go over three, but you're, you know, moving runners over, or you go stack back, back, line over, you know, that, that's being productive. And, you know, in the minor leagues, it's more of, um, you know, developing and just getting better as as a player so you can help the major league team at some point. Um, so I think, I mean, they, obviously, you know, in the big leagues, these are the best players in the world. Yeah. You know, they're so good defensively at the plate, pitching wise. I mean, well, ball, the ball's moving all over all, all over the place when guys are throwing the ball when you're in the box, and you <laughs> know, it's it's extremely tough. Like you're saying, we failed seventy percent of the time, and that you're one of the best in the league. Um, so obviously, you never plan on struggling, and you never want to struggle, but you know, we play so many games that it's going to happen at some point, whether it's for a month or a week or however long, you just gotta mentally just grind it out, get through it and find out what works for you to get out of it.
0: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. For valid on select AK systems that's through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real Steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
1: Dude, you talked about it, and nobody says this in the minor leagues and in the organization. But, and this was this was tough for me. It's it's not about the team in the minor leagues. No matter how much they say we want you guys to win, w- win as a team. It's so individualized in the minor leagues and about your success and then yeah I guess like you said when, when you get to the big leagues it becomes about the team and and winning as a team so you you get through your rookie year and then have a great year and, and have continued to play well in the big leagues was there something going into that offseason that you really focused on with your swing or, or switching things up or, or did you just grind through a mentally and get to that next year and then took off as the player you knew you could be.
3: Um, you know, I, I know what I can play, what level I can play at and, you know, how well I can do it. Um, you know, even this year, you know, my first month wasn't statistically like the greatest. Um, but like I I was telling the ball well, um, but I wasn't, you know, necessarily getting the results, but, um, like that you just got to grind through that just forget about like you're just you're hitting it at people are getting out and whatever you like i i know what i can what i can do out on the field and i know a lot of guys in this league know that And you know they go out there with that that attitude that you know they're the best in the league because you know when you're th- when you're thinking that you know you're going to be playing at your best and you just got to grind through the the lows and you know try and get back to where you where you know you can play and, or where you're, you're normally at so yeah, you know, I'm, I'm I'm feeling good right now. Uh, we're playing pretty well, so I'm just going to try and keep it up.
1: This is the most important question I have for you all day. How do you hit without batting gloves? I I cannot fathom it.
3: Um, I don't know. Like a lot of guys ask me that. I'm like, I'm <laughs> that. Um, it, it's really not like. Like I was telling, Mike, I've been telling Mike. I was like, Mike, can you play today without batting gloves? He goes, No. <laughs> um, so like, guys, guys think it's like ridiculous how we don't. It like, is don't ridiculous.
1: It, is, I guess, you've yeah. like built it up because do you I, do you use pine tar or anything?
3: Um, I don't use like pine tar or like the sticky stuff because I don't like my hands getting like super sticky. Um, I I just put some rosin on. I use like the it's like the flex tape stuff that guys like typically like tape their wrists and feet yeah. or, or like ankles with. Um I just put that on my back. So it's kind of like like a grip. Um but it's like padded grip. Um and I just put some rosin on for you know dry out my hands and stuff. So I'm like I, I feel fine with it. It's normal. <laughs> it doesn't hurt at all.
1: Um I don't know. I like,
3: got guys think that it's like ridiculously hard. Um, I don't know. It's just how I hit.
1: I mean, you always hear stories of of Moises Alou back in the day who did it, and he was like the one growing up that I would hear. Like, yeah, he he hit with no batting gloves, but he would also get all these calluses, and he would like pee on his hands. So is that is are you a big I'm gonna pee on my hands sort of guy? <laughs>
3: no i don't really get uh blisters or calluses really um like i might i might get some like before spring training like when i first like start hitting again ramping it back up um, coming back from off season. Yeah. um but other than that like um uh, my hands are fine um i don't i don't understand like when guys don't like put any tape on they just put a bunch of pine tar on the bat and swing without batting gloves then like oh. my hands would be Wrong. Destroyed if I did Just, that. Yeah, I, have to put, like, that little, I have to yeah, I have put a little wrap on it. Like I don't know how guys do that. That's that's crazy to me, but um yeah, I'm all good.
1: Did you did you bulk up a little bit coming into this season?
3: Uh yeah. Um I came in a spring training about about roughly 220 or so. Um I know like my baseball card and like on the I don't know, the internet says I'm still like 199 it or something. It really but undersells just, you. So, yeah, I, I was yeah.
1: watching a game uh, earlier this year. Well, I, I watched a lot and then was in Anaheim when y'all were out here. And I was like, wait, it, mm-hmm. one 190, 195 just doesn't seem right. So, I don't know if you, like, made a conscious effort this offseason to bulk up or if that's just plain wrong.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I try and do that every every offseason. Set, like, set a goal before uh, before the off season starts like at the, at the end of this year, like I said, another goal and try and do it by the time spring training rolls around. Um, but yeah, they have me like 20 pounds less than I actually am. <laughs> um, I, don't, I think they just throw like a rough estimate, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm probably like 215 or so right now, lost like a little bit of weight just from playing you know every day. Um, but yeah, I'm. I, I just set a goal every offseason try and reach it but spring training and go from there.
1: What was it like in – now, this is, this is a tough memory for me as well. In, in 2019, you got to play in a World Series, which is awesome. But, you know, that series in itself was one of the most incredible World Series – World Series's – World Series ever. It was incredible. What was it like for you getting to play – in a World Series on the biggest stage in the world. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a
3: you know different atmosphere just from just from being on the field. Um, I mean, typically, like we have like sold out crowds like, and like they'll cheer and like situations and whatever is going on throughout the game. But, you know, in the World Series, it's constantly just like at the maximum volume and everyone's got towels, just like waving them around. It, it, it's pretty crazy because it's nonstop, just from the start to finish, um, and it's for the we had it for the full seven games. Yeah. So it's definitely like playing in those games is definitely like life changing. Like you definitely appreciate it, and it, it, it's a lot of fun to be out there.
1: Did you know that it's the only championship series in history that the home team didn't win a single game?
3: I know I saw that. That was pretty crazy. That's insane. Yeah, it it was weird. Yeah, you know we they they won the first two, then we won the next three, and then they got it. Um, But yeah, I was like saying that like halfway through, and I was like, "This is weird." Like the home team (laughs) has. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it worked out like like that, but you know. What was what was the morale
1: in the locker room leaving? Leaving Washington, leaving D.C. because I mean, obviously, I, I know it's high, um, but you know, I was also there and and traveling with you guys every every step of the way. So leaving D.C. for me, especially with my brother on the mound for and and you know Garrett potentially on the mound at some point in the series, my thought was, you know, you never want to count your chickens before they hatch. But but I was feeling good, um, and. And in, in the clubhouse for you guys, is it sort of like a, is it like a, now we're going home and we have to do it? Or were you guys like, all right, we feel, we feel good about, about this?
3: Um, you No, know, we, we were confident in our, in ourselves. I mean, even when we, you know, went down the first two games, um, we, we were never out of it. You know, if you look at our, our pitching staff, we had sure. and our, our lineup. I mean, you know that we had some phenomenal players um, playing, and you know you're never. We were down three games. We we could still come back and win win the next four. I mean, our our the team was so talented and special. And you know we we were excited to get back and play in front of our home fans and potentially win it. But you know we 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 were we were ready. To play.
1: so you're what? What were you? 22 at that time um, playing in the World Series. Yeah you're 22 years old playing in a world series on a team with guys that are, you know, it's a young core, but also some vets. And like who on the team, especially in that, that's your first, you know, full season, who, who would you like lean on and, and talk to a lot and, you know, who kind of did you lean on throughout the course of that year?
3: Um, I mean, I, I was around, like, the outfielders,
1: you know, most of the
3: time. Um, you know, like, in early work in BP and in the locker room, they would kind of section us, like, in our positions, kind of. So, I mean, I would I would be around George and Red and Mike and just – I mean, for us, it was like a – you know, we would treat it as, like, a regular game. Um, yeah. You don't have to put any more pressure or put any more whatever into it. You just got to go out there and play your game. And, you know, I, I – Look up to those guys and, you know, they've been playing playing this game for a long time. And they've been playing at a, at a high level. So I just looked up to those guys, watch them go about their business and try and, you know, just learn, learn things that will help me as I, as I grew
1: up. Speaking of guys in the outfield and, and when when, I, when you say Houston Astros, you don't necessarily think this player, but talk to me about how incredible Jordan alvarez is i remember he comes on the scene and is just like how is this guy doing this i remember talking to my brother when he first came up and he's like one of the first games he like sits back on a 3-1 change up and lasers it the other way and he's like who is this guy
3: yeah uh i mean the first i think the first time i played with Jordan was was in triple a and you know i got to see him play every day from then on um but he's just one of those guys that just rakes up up at the plate I mean you I I feel like as a pitcher you would never want to like face him um I mean I was looking at his career numbers the other day he was I mean he's hitting like 315 roughly like career which is you know obviously like best best (laughs) in the game um I saw like he was the fastest I don't know if ML, MLB or just the Astros, like 100 RBIs.
1: It's in history. Um, yeah, I, I think yeah, you're right.
3: Yeah, And I was like, this guy's just like breaking <laughs> records for the franchise and for the MLB, just just doing what he does. And, you know, he, he's a great guy to be around in the clubhouse. And he's he's such a good hitter. And, you know, we're, we're excited to watch him, you know, every at bat.
1: So I want to ask you, I, I ask everybody these same three questions, sort of like career moment type questions. So the first one would be, what was your welcome to the MLB sort of moment? Um, it was probably my first
3: game. I got up there and, um, you know, it's my first plate appearance and the whole crowd, like, it's like a standing ovation. Like everyone's standing up, cheering. And I'm like, this is, like, you don't get that in the minor <laughs> leagues. Um, like, they just cheer when you come up to the plate, but, you know, in the big leagues, it's, they introduce you as you're going up to the plate and the whole crowd just gets li- like, like how it was for the playoffs. You know, it's that loud. You're like, what the heck? <laughs> um, so yeah, it was definitely weird, but it was definitely like a, wow, well, this is like, the, this is the big leagues now.
1: What was your, what has been your most memorable play on the field? Um, most memorable play. Um, I don't know. I, I hitting or
3: I, I feel like for me um, it, it'd it be a defensive play like this year like making a diving play to you know prevent a run being scored just yeah. because it's like it's satisfying for me knowing that I you know help a pitcher out like saving a run or saving some pitches like now I can go out for another inning like because when when you go back in the dugout and he's like hey like thank you like it's it's gratifying for me to see that you know, I try and help them out as possible
1: and what's a moment that stands out to you that has taken place off the field with teammates
3: um, probably one like one of our team dinners um, some of the guys got together like met had a team dinner they paid for and you know it was just like a fun like um, group thing because we haven't really been able to do that recently. And, um, it was fun to you know get back together as a team and you know do something off the field because you know last year or so we haven't really been able to do that so you know like a like a team dinner that we can all yeah. do have some fun eat some food and drink or whatever.
1: So Kyle, you you know th- there's a lot going on in baseball right now and and the game the game itself is changing the the game of baseball is changing and how it's portrayed and all of that and especially you know. Uh, Recently, the unwritten rules of baseball have come up a lot. There's a lot of talk about what's right, what's wrong, new school versus old school. So, if you were if you were commissioner for a day, what is one one thing you would change or implement to to make the game of baseball more exciting? Cool.
3: That's interesting. Um I think we're like we're trying to do a bunch of stuff now like you know you know the t- extra inning runner and um ch- like modifying the balls a little bit. That's It's kind of tough. Um do you like, cause, like you don't want to make the bag like the bags closer cuz you know there's a bunch of close plays. Right. I think honestly I think like changing changing the baseballs would like make it the biggest difference in the game.
1: Just because change it like back to what it was, because it, it clearly they they said they changed it this year and it has clearly made a big difference. And and I mean, I, I think all these no hitters, that plays a huge factor, I think a lot of strikeouts. So would you like to see, you know, a, a change back? I mean, I think we have a little bit of a problem here with the baseball.
3: Yeah, um, I know there's, there's a bunch of. Like controversial stuff, but should make the baseballs better or worse or whatever. Um, but I mean it's not like you can tell like the pitchers to throw the ball like not as hard. Um you can't make the bases closer, like the field closer or further. Um but so I think like, you know, the baseball, whether you should make it smaller, like laces higher or something, I think that would, you know, obviously change yeah. the game as you've seen uh you know this year and in recent years. So I think Honestly, I think that's the the biggest part that changes it probably the most.
1: All right, before I let you go, you uh, you stream on Twitch, not not often in season, not any in season, but we you know, we've played COD together and with Jake Marisnik and and that group of guys. The question I have for you is, you know, you stream and and you play it so often, how are you not any better at Call of Duty than you are? <laughs> Oh man, I've
3: actually been trying to like re-download the. So I have like my PC. I just keep it at home because I didn't want to take it with me on on, during the season. Um, But I have my PlayStation. I was trying to like re-download it so I could play with some of the guys, but it like wasn't downloading. I was like, whatever. But I don't. Yeah, I don't play it as much. Like I don't bring bring you know video games on the road with me, Um, just because like I want to you know sleep and be. Well rested for the next day, rather than playing,
1: playing to the Call wee of hours of the morning, getting pissed off three, four in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Who's better, you or Marisnik Oh
3: me, no, big <laughs> shot nothing
1: on it. <laughs> uh, all right, Kyle, well, we'll have to we'll have to play again soon. Thanks so much, man, for joining me. I really appreciate it, and good luck the rest of the way. And yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. You're welcome back anytime. I appreciate it. All right, and thank you again to Astros outfielder Kyle Tucker for joining me. Much appreciated. Let's get right in to my favorite segment we do, the hotline questions where you guys can call in. So get those questions in weekly at 213-537-9339. They can get asked on the episode. So, Rick, hit me with that first voicemail of this week.
0: Hey, Ben, love the show. This is George from Richmond.
1: Got a question for you to answer for
0: people in the Big Apple. What is more likely to happen? Aaron Boone not returning as manager in New York or Jacob DeGrom matching Bob Gibson's 1.12 ERA in 1962? Thanks.
1: Whoa. George, thank you for calling. Good question. So what do I think is more likely? Aaron Boone being out as the Yankees' manager, or Jacob deGrom going under Bob Gibson's ERA record. Now, my first thought here is, yeah, Aaron Boone. Aaron Boone, uh, it's the New York Yankees with this roster again and again and again not achieving a championship, and then this year to be, you know, they're playing better, but to be a third-place team at this point in the year is unacceptable. You know, it's also unacceptable getting swept by the Detroit Tigers. Unacceptable. So my first answer that comes to mind is Aaron Boone. But but let me be honest about something. Jacob deGrom, at this point in the year, still has a sub-1 ERA. A .80. 0.80 ERA in the big leagues. That is insane. Now, look. If there's any year for it to get done, it's this one. The balls have been changed, lots of no hitters, lots of outs, lowest batting average and, and forever uh, amongst players. Um, but look, that Bob Gibson ERA is just, I, I believe, especially with baseball the way it is today with hitters being as good as they can be, an untouchable record. Um, So this may come back to bite me in the ass, but I'm going to take Aaron Boone as the answer of the the thing that happens first and that Aaron Boone is more likely to be out as Yankees manager. Rick, hit me with the second voicemail.
3: Hello, Ben. Valencia here. My question to you is about playoff teams. We see teams dominate in the regular season, but as soon as they hit the playoffs, they choke. Is there that much of a difference between playoff pressure and playoff experience? I think back to the 2001 Mariners and the historic regular season that ended in a first-round exit. But on the flip side, you have the 2020 Astros who backed into the playoffs and ended up one game away from the World Series. The whole playoff dynamic in baseball is just fascinating to me.
2: Thanks for answering my question. Love the podcast. Bye.
1: Great question, Valencia. Thanks for for the call. Um, So, yeah, playoff baseball is a total different beast. Uh, It's a different game than the regular season. And you brought up two great examples. And I'll raise you this. This year in Major League Baseball is one of the most exciting years that I can remember in a while. And we have a lot of teams that are going to be making that playoff push that are going to get into the playoffs that don't have a ton of experience, as well as teams that get in that do have that experience. I think of the Chicago White Sox. I think of the San Diego Padres, two of the best teams in baseball. But I also think of teams that are probably going to get in, like the Houston Astros, that do have that experience. Um, and teams that uh, you know could still get in uh, in the Red Sox or the Yankees that do have that experience. So we're going to get this culmination in in the playoffs this year of a bunch of young, really exciting teams that don't have that experience and a bunch of teams that do. And those teams that don't necessarily have that experience are probably the better team than the teams that do. So um, you're right. It is a total different beast and, and there's so much pressure. You're on national TV every single game. I've talked to my brother about pitching in the playoffs. He says every pitch you throw, every inning you throw is basically like pitching two innings. It's that much more stressful. It's that much more strenuous on your arm. And you put that much more pressure on yourself. So guys that have been there before, teams that have been there, teams that have veterans that have been through it and can talk you through it and and know when you hit adversity, that's naturally going to come, how to push through it in the playoffs. Because when you hit adversity in the regular season, you have a few games and it's gone and you're back on track. You don't have that luxury in the playoffs. When you hit adversity in the playoffs, it can be out of there. It can be two, three games and it's over. You gotta figure it out in the moment. And having those veterans, those guys that have that experience, I think is a huge, huge, huge benefit in the playoffs. So thank you so much for that question. Uh, Both of those questions, thank you for calling in. Make sure you're getting in those questions, guys. If you want to be part of this show with me, get those questions into 213-537-9339, and they can get answered on the pod. So thank you again for getting those in this week. But let's get in to this week in Shohei Ohtani news. My favorite player in baseball. I talk about him all the time. Why? For good reason, man. Every time that somebody's doing something that hasn't been done in 100 years, it should probably be talked about. And that's what I do here. I talk about Otani because he deserves to be talked about. What did he do this week? Earlier in the week, he hit a home run at 117 miles an hour. An absolute laser beam off the bat in Anaheim. Crushed it. Let me give you a stat here. Shohei Ohtani hit the hardest home run the other night at 117 miles an hour in Angels his, in, since 2015 in the Angels. So nobody has hit a home run harder than Shohei Ohtani in six years in the entire Angels organization. Think about who's there. One, Mike Trout, the obvious one, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, potentially. I think so. Hasn't hit a homer that hard. Albert Pujols, one of the greatest of all times. Towards the end of his career, but the guy can still match some homers. In 2015, Albert's a different player back then. Some newer guys, Anthony Rendon hadn't been there long, but these guys have had some guys in the organization that are greats. All-time greats. Shohei Otani the other night hits a harder home run than has been hit in that organization in six years. Absolutely incredible. Then, fast forward to later in the week when Shohei Ohtani is supposed to start on the mound. We hear Ohtani is scratched. When I first hear that Shohei Ohtani is scratched from a start, my mind goes in a blender. I get upset. Something's not right. I think the entire baseball world here is in fear that Ohtani and what we are seeing today is going to become Derailed because of injury. So we're all on like pins and needles when we hear stuff like that. We it later comes out that Otani missed his start because of traffic. There was an accident up in San Francisco. They were playing in uh, they were playing in Oakland. An accident on the Bay Bridge. Shohei Otani's taking the last bus to the field. He's that day's starting pitcher. So you take the last bus. He's on the last bus. They run into an accident. So they, they avert plans. They try and find another mode of transportation. They take the wrong route. They go the wrong way. Shohei Otani shows up to the stadium too late to start. He still hits in this game, but he can't start because of a traffic jam. <laughs> but, but then the next day comes. So the start gets pushed back another day. He ends up starting the very next day. All is well in the world. Things are fine. Otani's throwing great the next day. He's on the mound. He's pitching great, punching guys out, hadn't given up a run. And then all of a sudden, he throws one up and in to Mark Canna. Fastball, up and in. Canna doesn't love it. Doesn't love it. Mouths off a little bit out there saying, hey, blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever he said. I'm sure there were some expletives involved, probably. Otani probably didn't even understand him. But he just stood there and smiled as tensions flared, the benches cleared, both teams come running out, you know, as they always do when when stuff like that happens. And Otani just stood out there and smiled and, like, waved and said, I'm sorry. Um, Kana ended up saying, you know, that, you know, I think he got a little, he overreacted a little bit, but Suzuki, the catcher, got in his face, and I think that kind of escalated everything. But Otani's reaction out on the mound was incredible. And you know, I took to, to Twitter and, and talked about this and, and to Instagram, and people said, well, he threw 90-some miles an hour at his face. Like, wh- what would you have done? I'll tell you what I would have done. If Shohei Ohtani threw 98 miles an hour at my face, I would have apologized to Shohei Ohtani for my face being there. That's how much I love Shohei Ohtani. So a lot went on with Ohtani this week. I love the guy. That is this week in Shohei Ohtani News. Let's move on to a poll we gave you guys on Twitter this weekend. Uh, We talked about the best pitchers in the American League. It was sent out from the Flippin' Bats pod Twitter and Instagram accounts. So if you don't follow those, one, you got to get on. What are you doing? But the poll was sent out. Who's the best pitcher in the American League? Gave you four options. Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber, Tyler Glasnow, friend of the pod, and someone else. Let's look at how that turned out. Garrett Cole, 47.8% was the winner. Shane Bieber, 218 Someone else, 176 Tyler Glass now, 134 Now, I would have, I would have, I did. I did vote for Garrett Cole. I think Garrett Cole is the best pitcher in the American League. But what I want to talk about is the someone else category. Who's in that category, you might ask? John Means, big name big guy that I believe is getting a lot of votes for the Baltimore Orioles really coming on the scene, uh, has been a great, a great pitcher for a while now. And this year is having an incredible year has thrown a no hitter. Um, and another one on that list that I think is getting some votes, Carlos Rodon of the Chicago White Sox also having a great year who I think should, should, should be in this top three discussion. I think we are having so many pitchers emerge this year as great pitchers and, and, and Carlos Rodon, one of the the best of those stories. Uh, But still, to me, and my AL prediction of who's going to win the Cy Young was Tyler Glassnow. Tyler Glassnow, first first guest on this show. Um, The pod luck is a real thing. Come on this show, you play great baseball. Tyler Glassnow is playing fantastic baseball. And if I still had to vote for somebody that I think would win the Cy Young, I still think He's a great bet here. So this was a fun poll this week. Uh, Garrett Cole running away with almost half of the vote, which I feel like is, is pretty fair. Uh, but a, a good discussion in, in the American League pitcher race is, is an incredible one. Some, some insane arms in the American League. Um, but it is the first of the month. And you know what that means give out my top five power rankings uh, in, in all of Major League Baseball in the first of the month. And we'll start with number five, San Francisco Giants. Man, this team, and we talked about it, this team surprised me this weekend. Impressed me, I should say. They go into Los Angeles. They win three of four games. Three of four great games to a Dodgers team that is getting healthier. They got Cody Bellinger back for the Saturday and Sunday games. Obviously, it's his first games back. I don't think we're seeing peak Cody Bellinger right now. But this is a statement series for the Giants. And it was huge of them to go into L.A. and win that series. And uh, they're right behind the Padres in the division. Fourth, we got the Boston Red Sox. Look, they've been playing great baseball from the start of the year until now. They're 1-2 and in that division. They're right back and forth in first and second place in that division. Playing great, hitting bombs. This team's fun. This team is offensively very, very good. I think they're a pitching piece or two away from being elite in the American League. Speaking of elite in the American League, my third on the power rankings this week, the Tampa Bay Rays. Look, they do it every year. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. And the Rays are one of if not the hottest team in baseball they have climbed their way up this division find themselves in first place in the division right now with a roster that you look at again and again and again and say is this team going to win the al east no is this team going to win the american league no what do they do they win the american league last year they're winning the american league east right now and they are playing incredible baseball second on my power rankings this week, the Chicago White Sox. Man, these guys are so fun to watch. If you're not watching this team, they do everything well. Coming into this season, I loved their offense. Loved it. Look at their rotation now this year. We just talked about Carlos Rodon. He's not even the guy. He's not even one of their top three guys, really. And he's in the discussion for one of the best pitchers in the American League this year. They got Lucas Giolito at the top. They got Dallas Keuchel. They got Lance Lynn. They got Carlos Rodon. They have all of these guys that are going out and giving them great starts night in and night out, and that's why they're winning these baseball games along with and pair that with an exciting electric offense at the top. These guys are fun. These guys are exciting, and they are an American League favorite for sure. Let's move over to the National League for my number one spot in the power rankings right now, the San Diego Padres. Man, these guys are electric. That's probably my favorite word in Major League Baseball this year, electric. And the Padres embody that. Fernando Tatis Jr. embodies that. This team is so fun. They are on an absolute tear. They're on a roll. They're in my number one spot in the power rankings. They went up to Los Angeles earlier this year, proved they can beat the Dodgers on the road. The sky's the limit for this team. I'm excited for the National League West and this battle we're going to get out there, not only with um, not only with the Padres and the Dodgers, but also with the San Francisco Giants, who I talked about earlier in my number five team. But the Padres, my number one team, in this week's power rankings in all of Major League Baseball. Speaking of the Padres, however, it is time for my sixth Tool Player of the Week. And this one is special because it is the first ever two-time winner of this award, and it could not be more deserved. Fernando Tatis Jr., shortstop for the San Diego Padres, is the first ever two-time winner of the sixth Tool Player of the Week. This guy, since coming off of the IL, he was on the, uh, you know, he's been on the COVID IL. He he was on the, the IL for an injury. He has come back and just been dominant, man. This guy, who I've talked about as being the face of Major League Baseball, is becoming that in front of our eyes. Have a big series this week in Houston. He goes down there. He hits a homer in seemingly every game of the series. He hits a huge home run uh, in the first game of the series off the facing of the wall in Houston and just stands there and looks at it. And there's the coolest picture in the world of him just holding his bat, admiring his work. And if you look back behind him, the umpire is kind of admiring his work too, as we all should be admiring this guy's work. Then he hits another one later in the series, two outs, Ninth inning, down by a few runs. He hits a pop-up to the right side in foul territory. That was probably going to end the game. First baseman misplays it. Gives him another chance. Next thing you know, of course, bomb to left field. He rounds the bases. He does that cool stutter step around third base, which I could have never dreamed of doing. It's just so cool. I'm never that cool in my life. But also... Another thing that happened this week with Tatis. And normally I wouldn't talk about a a getting out of the way of a hit by pitch, but I need you guys to see this. There was a pitch thrown near Fernando Tatis, and he avoided this baseball in a way that I've never seen done before. I've been around a lot of baseball, played baseball for a long, long time in my life. Fernando Tatis is, is... out of this world, I think. Look at this. he does the splits he flings his leg it seemingly looks like out of place um, and then does the splits and everybody's talking about it I'm like what are we, you know like what what are we talking about? Fernando Tatis got out of the way of a hit by pitch and then I watched it I'm like, oh my God, this guy's incredible. Um, so Fernando Tatis is incredible and oftentimes I've talked about him becoming the face of baseball and recently said that i think he is the face of baseball and as you guys know i've had uh, my producer davis on here a couple times now to talk about tatis um, and at the beginning of the year his discussion the discussion was tatis mookie Betts. let me tell you guys something i put out a poll the other day a few thousand people voted on who is the face of baseball fernando tatis 50% 50% of the vote. Mike Trout, 30-some percent. Producer Davis's pick, Mookie Betts, 2. 2% two of the vote. I call that a victory, my friend. And that is this week's sixth Tool Player of the Week, Fernando Tatis Jr. And that wraps it up for this week on Flipping Bats. What a fun episode. What an absolute blast. Thank you guys for listening and checking it out. And again, make sure you're following on all socials. It's getting fun on there. We put up polls uh, that we're now featuring on the show. So make sure you're following Flippin' Bats Pod on all social media, but also make sure you're hitting that subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever it may be. And uh, you can even watch the episode on YouTube. So thank you guys for listening and I will see you next time on Flippin' Bats.
0: Hit in 10-3. The are loaded for Verlander, who waits out the real He swings and it's a high fly ball. Deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge bat flip to celebrate.